Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. If the dead spoke to you, would you listen or would you close your senses, tune out the whispers, pretend you couldn't hear? Renowned sculptor Allison Weathers doesn't believe in ghosts, but when a twist of fate leads her to the small mountain town of Dawson Mills, Tennessee, she soon learns that the dead don't always stay silent. Lost Girl by Anne Frances Scott, a paranormal mystery with chilling scenes at the fringe of horror. Available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments, Season 3. Thank you for joining me on this journey into the odd, the weird, the strange, Hope you'll enjoy it. Now, on with the show. When you gather around the Christmas tree or stuff goodies into a stocking, you're taking part in traditions that stretch back thousands of years, long before Christianity entered the mix. Yes, many of the Christmas traditions we engage in, or celebrate, or in other words, take part in, are of pagan descent. Pagan, or non-Christian traditions, show up in this beloved winter holiday, a consequence of early church leaders melding Jesus' nativity celebration with pre-existing midwinter festivals. Since then, Christmas traditions have changed over time, arriving at their current state a little more than a century ago. Stay tuned for some of the surprising origins of Christmas cheer and find out why Christmas was once banned in New England. Hi folks, this is Terry from Texas. Welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. I wanted to do something a little bit different for Christmas. I didn't want any sad stories, and I didn't want any disgusting stories, and I just didn't want any pain to be told about. So enjoy it. Merry Christmas, everybody. It's a mistake to say that our modern Christmas traditions come directly from pre-Christian paganism. You'd be equally wrong to believe that Christmas is a modern phenomenon. As Christians spread their religion into Europe in the first centuries AD, they ran into people living by a variety of local and regional religious creeds, as you might expect. Christian missionaries lumped all of these people together under the umbrella term pagan. 
Now, pagan is not a bad word. The term is related to the Latin word meaning field. And the reason behind this is that early European Christianity was an urban phenomenon. People went from city to city, spreading the gospel, while paganism persisted longer in the rustic, more rural areas. It's harder to get out of town to go into the country and find people to preach to. Early Christians wanted to convert pagans, but they were also fascinated by their traditions. It's obviously something they think is a bad thing, but it's also something they think is worth remembering. After all, it's what their ancestors did. Perhaps that's why pagan traditions remained even as Christianity took hold. The Christmas tree is a 17th century German invention, but it clearly derives from the pagan practice of bringing greenery indoors to decorate in midwinter. The modern Santa Claus is a direct descendant of England's Father Christmas, who was not originally a gift giver. Father Christmas and his other European variations are modern incarnations of old pagan ideas about spirits who traveled the sky in midwinter. We all want that warm Christmas glow, right? We all want that. But what's his fixation on partying in midwinter anyway? According to the historians, it's a natural time for a feast. In an agricultural society, the harvest work is done for the year, and there's nothing left to be done in the fields. It's a time when you have some time to devote to your religious life. But it's also a period when, frankly, everybody needs cheering up. Remember, many peoples, and I did say peoples, feared winter and its darkness. But the dark days that culminate with the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, could be lightened with feasts and decorations. If you happen to live in a region in which midwinter brings striking darkness and cold and hunger, then the urge to have a celebration at the very heart of it to avoid going mad or falling into deep depression is very, very strong. Cabin fever by any other name would still drive you bonkers. Nowadays, solstice doesn't mean all that much because you can get rid of the darkness with the flick of an electric switch. But it's still a very powerful season. The church was really slow to embrace Christmas, and despite the spread of Christianity, midwinter festivals did not become Christian or Christmas for hundreds of years. The Bible gives no reference to when Jesus was born. And I would uh, I would tend to argue with that, but I'm not a biblical scholar, so I'm not going to. And this wasn't really a problem because the early Christians didn't really have the idea to celebrate Jesus' birth anyway. With no biblical directive to do so and no mention in the Gospels of the correct date, it wasn't until the 4th century that the church leaders in Rome embraced the holiday. At this time, many people had turned to a belief the church found heretical, that Jesus had never existed as a man, but as a sort of spiritual entity. Yeah, that's wrong. If you want to show that Jesus was a real human being, just like every other human being, not just somebody who appeared like a hologram, then what better way to think of him being born in a normal, humble, human way than to celebrate his birth? Midwinter festivals with their pagan roots were already widely celebrated, and the date had a pleasing philosophical fit with festivals 
celebrating the lengthening days after the winter solstice. Oh, how wonderfully acted Providence that on that day on which that son was born, Christ should be born, one Cyprian text read. Researchers believe that the Roman Catholic Church settled on December 25th for many reasons, such as that dates ties to the winter solstice and Saturnalia, a festival dedicated to the Roman deity Saturn. By choosing this day to celebrate Jesus' birthday, the church could co-opt the popular pagan festival as well as the winter celebrations of other pagan religions. And I can already hear cultural appropriation. No. Well, yeah, maybe, but it made for an easier transition. But nobody really knows exactly when Jesus was born. Some scholars think he was born between 6 B.C. and 4 B.C., based partly on the biblical story of Herod the Great. Not long before Herod's death, which is believed to have occurred in 4 B.C., the ruler of Judea supposedly ordered the death of all male infants who were under the age of two and lived in the vicinity of Bethlehem in an attempt to kill Jesus. This is known as the slaughter of the innocents. To pinpoint Jesus' birth year, other scholars have tried to correlate the Star of Bethlehem, which supposedly heralded Jesus' birth with actual astronomical events. In a 1991 article in the Quarterly Journal of the Royal Astronomical Society, astronomer Colin Humphreys proposed that the fabled star was actually a slow-moving comet, which Chinese observers recorded in 5 BC. Scholars also debate the month of Jesus' birth. In 2008, astronomer Dave Renneke argued that Jesus was born in the summer. The star of Bethlehem may have been Venus and Jupiter, coming together to form a bright light in the sky. Using computer models, Renneke determined that this rare event occurred on June 17th in the year 2 BC. Other researchers have claimed that a similar conjunction, one between Saturn and Jupiter, occurred in October of 7 BC, making Jesus an autumn baby. Theologians have also suggested that Jesus was born in the spring, based on the biblical narrative that shepherds were watching over their flocks in the fields on the night of Jesus' birth, something they would have done in the spring, not in the winter. Did you know that the Puritans hated the holiday of Christmas? The Catholic Church gradually came to embrace Christmas, but the Protestant Reformation gave the holiday a good knock on the chin. In the 16th century, Christmas became a casualty of this church schism, with reformist-minded Protestants considering it little better than paganism. This likely had something to do with the, quote, raucous, rowdy, and sometimes bawdy fashion, unquote, in which Christmas was celebrated. In England, under Oliver Cromwell, Christmas and other saints' days were banned, and in New England, it was illegal to celebrate Christmas for about 25 years in the 1600s. Forget people saying Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas. They didn't say anything. If you want to look at a real war on Christmas, you've got to look at the Puritans. They banned it. Go figure. Gifts are a new and surprisingly controversial tradition. While gift-giving may seem inextricably tied to Christmas, 
It used to be that people looked forward to opening presents on New Year's Day. They were a blessing for people to make them feel good as the year ends. It wasn't until the Victorian era of the 1800s that gift-giving shifted to Christmas. According to the Royal Collection, Queen Victoria's children got Christmas Eve gifts in 1850, including a sword and armor. In 1841, Victoria gave her husband, Prince Albert, a miniature portrait of her at the age of seven. In 1859, she gave him a book of poetry by Alfred Lord Tennyson. All of this gift-giving, along with the secular embrace of Christmas, now has some religious groups steamed. The consumerism, of which there is much, of Christmas shopping seems to some to contradict the religious goal of celebrating Jesus Christ's birth. I, for one, don't particularly care for the Black Friday sales, the after Black Friday sales, the Black Monday sales, the Cyber Monday sales, the All Day Monday sales, the whichever way the wind blows sales that stores have in order to get people to buy, buy, buy more junk, which then wind up in garage sales and thrift stores. That's my opinion. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The consumerism seems to some to contradict the religious goal of celebrating Jesus Christ's birth, as I said. In some ways, excessive spending is the modern equivalent of the revelry and drunkenness that made the Puritans frown. There's always been a push and pull, and it's taken different forms. It might have been alcohol then, but it's now all these glittering toys. What is Advent? Advent is the period of four Sundays and weeks before Christmas or sometimes from the 1st of December to Christmas Day. Advent means coming in Latin. This is the coming of Jesus into the world. Christians use the four Sundays and weeks of Advent to prepare and remember the real meaning of Christmas. There are three meanings of coming that Christmas describe in Advent. The first, and most thought of, happened about 2,000 years ago when Jesus came into the world as a baby to live as a man and to die for us. The second can happen now as Jesus wants to come into our lives. And the third will happen in the future when Jesus comes back to the world as king and judge, not as a baby. Advent Sunday can be from the 27th of November to the 3rd of December. Advent only starts on the 1st December when Christmas Day is on a Wednesday. No one is really sure when Advent was first celebrated, but it dates back to at least 567 when monks were ordered to fast during December leading up to Christmas. Some people fast, which means don't eat anything, and believe me, if you're on a fast, it doesn't go fast. They fast during Advent to help them concentrate on preparing to celebrate Jesus' coming. In many Orthodox and Eastern Catholic churches, Advent lasts for 40 days and starts on November 15th and is also called the Nativity Fast. Advent also starts on November 15th in Celtic Christianity. 
Orthodox Christians often don't eat meat and dairy during Advent, and depending on the day, also olive oil, wine, and fish. In medieval and pre-medieval times in parts of England, there was an early form of nativity scenes called Advent images, or a vessel cup. They were a box, often with a glass lid, that was covered with a white napkin that contained two dolls representing Mary and the baby Jesus. The box was decorated with ribbons and flowers and sometimes apples. They were carried around from door to door. It was thought to be very unlucky if you hadn't seen a box before Christmas Eve. People paid the box carriers a half penny to see the box. There are some Christmas carols that are really Advent carols. These include People Look East, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, Lo, He Comes With Clouds Descending, and perhaps the most popular Advent song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. There are several ways that Advent is counted down, but the most common is by a calendar or by candles. There are many types of calendars used in different countries. The most common ones in the UK and USA are made of paper or card with 24 or 25 little windows on it. A window is opened every day in December and a Christmas picture is displayed underneath. In the 19th century, German Protestant Christians counted down to Christmas by marking 24 chalk lines on a door and wiping one off every day in December. Paper calendars were first popular in Germany in the early 1900s, although people made their own from the 1850s. There's a debate about exactly where and when the first mass-produced calendar was printed, but it was certainly in Germany in the early 1900s. During World War II, the production of Advent calendars stopped due to a shortage of cardboard. When they were first made, scenes from the Christmas story and other Christmas images were used such as snowmen and robins. But now, many calendars are made in the themes of toys, television programs, and sports clubs. Some of these types of calendar even have chocolate under each window to make every day in December that much better. Some European countries, such as Germany, use a wreath with 24 bags or boxes hanging from it. In each box or bag, there's a little present for each day. Advent candles you ask about. There are two types of can you didn't ask. There are two types of candles that are used to count down to Christmas Day in Advent. The first looks like a normal candle, but has the days up to Christmas Day marked down the candle. On the first of December the candle is lit and burnt to the first line. Every day you light it and burn it down to the next line until you get to Christmas. That's when the last part of the candle is burnt. Lutheran churches in Scandinavia used 24 little candles to count down through December from the 1700s. An Advent crown is another form of candles that are used to count down Advent. These are the ones I'm more familiar with, even though we don't necessarily celebrate Advent. Sometimes we will put up an Advent uh, crown. These are often used in churches rather than people's homes. The crown is often made up of a wreath of greenery and has four candles around the outside and one in the middle or in a separate place. Sometimes a more traditional candelabra is used to display the five candles. 
One candle is lit on the first Sunday of Advent, two on the second, three on the third, and finally all four are lit on the fourth week. Each candle has a different meaning in Christianity. Different churches have given them different meanings. But, generally speaking, I guess, the first represents Isaiah and other prophets in the Bible that predicted the coming of Jesus. The second represents the Bible. The third represents Mary, the mother of Jesus. The fourth represents John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, who told the people in Israel to get ready for Jesus' teaching. The middle or separate candle is lit on Christmas Day and represents Jesus, the light of the world. In Germany, this fifth candle is known as the Heiligabend and is lit on Christmas Eve. In many churches, the color purple is used to signify the season of Advent. On the third Sunday, representing Mary, the color is sometimes changed to pink or rose. The Twelve Days of Christmas Well, the Twelve Days of Christmas are now most famous as a song about someone receiving lots of presents from their true love. I actually heard a version of the Twelve Days of Christmas in the Hawaiian idea. Very interesting. However, to get to the song, there had to be the days to start with, right? But I went into depth on this subject last Christmas season, so enough said as far as I'm concerned. Epiphany. You ever heard somebody say they had an epiphany? It's not like having a fit. Epiphany is celebrated 12 days after Christmas on the 6th of January or on January 19th for some Orthodox churches who have Christmas on the 7th of January. It is the time when the Christians remember the wise men, and the wise men are also called the three kings who visited Jesus. Epiphany is also when some churches remember when Jesus was baptized, when he was about 30, and he started to teach people about God. Epiphany means revelation, and both the visit of the wise men and his baptism are important times when Jesus was revealed to be very important to the world. Some churches use Epiphany to celebrate and remember both the visit of the wise men and Jesus' baptism. Epiphany is mainly celebrated by Catholics and Orthodox Christians. In Ireland, Epiphany is also sometimes called Noleg na Mabin, and I'm sorry if I destroyed that, or Women's Christmas. Traditionally, the women get the day off and men do the housework and cooking. It's becoming more and more popular, and many Irish women now get together on the Sunday nearest Epiphany and have tea and cakes. Do you write Christmas, or do you shorten it to Xmas? Well, let me tell you about that. Christmas is also sometimes known as Xmas. You see it all over the place, on especially on like advertisements where they don't have a lot of space. Some people don't think it's correct to call Christmas Xmas and that it takes Christ or Jesus out of Christmas as Christmas comes from Christ Mass, the church service that celebrated the birth of Jesus. But that's not quite right. In the Greek language and alphabet, the letter that looks like an X is the Greek letter Chi, C-H-I, or X, and it's pronounced Chi, like I said, and it's the first letter of the Greek word for Christ, or Christos, or Christos. The early church used the first two letters of Christos in the Greek alphabet, Chi and Rho, R-H-O, 
to create a monogram or symbol to represent the name of Jesus. This looks like an X with a small P up in the middle of the, the upper part of the X sticking up. Almost looks like a, a, a prescription letter, but different. The symbol of a fish is sometimes used by Christians. You know, you might see a, a fish sticker on a car or somebody wearing a little fish lapel pin. This comes from the time when the first Christians had to meet in secret, as the Romans wanted to kill them. This is before Emperor Constantine became a Christian. Jesus had said that he wanted to make his followers fishers of men. So people started to use that symbol. When two Christians would meet, one person drew half a basic fish shape, often using their foot in the dust on the ground, and the other person drew the other half of the fish. The Greek word for fish is ichthus or ichthys. There are five Greek letters in the word. It can also make up a sentence of Christian beliefs as Jesus Christos Theo Vias Soter, which in English means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. The second letter of these five letters is X, or Christos. So Xmas can also mean Christmas, but it should also be pronounced Christmas rather than Xmas. Jingle bells or shotgun shells? Bells, especially church bells, have traditionally been associated with Christmas for a long time. In the Anglican and Catholic churches, the church day starts at sunset, so any service after that is the first service of the day. So a service on Christmas Eve after sunset is traditionally the first service of Christmas Day. In churches that have a bell or bells, they are often rung to signal the start of this service. In some churches in the UK, it is traditional that the largest bell in the church is rung four times in the hour before midnight, and then at midnight, all the bells are rung in celebration and absolute beautiful noise. In the Catholic Church, Christmas and Easter are the only times that Mass is allowed to be held at midnight. It's traditional that at both midnight Masses, the church and altar bells too, in many cases, are rung while the priest says the Gloria, or the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Having a Mass at midnight at Christmas dates back to the early church, when it was believed that Jesus was born at midnight, although there has never been any proof of this. A lot of churches have midnight services on Christmas Eve, although not every church will have a Mass or Communion as part of the service. In many Catholic countries, such as France, Spain, and Italy, the midnight Mass service is very important and everyone tries to go. In Victorian times, it was very fashionable to go carol singing with small handbells to play the tune of the carol. Sometimes there would only be the bells and no singing. Handbell ringing is still popular today. Perhaps the most famous bells at Christmas now are the ones in the song Jingle Bells. However, the song was first called One Horse Open Sleigh, figures, and was originally published in the USA in September of 1857 as a Thanksgiving song, not as a Christmas one. But it soon became associated with Christmas because of the snowy lyrics and many choirs were singing in it at Christmas in the 1860s and 70s. Often only the first verse and chorus are now sung. 
The other verses are about driving the one-horse open sleigh rather fast and crashing it. Jingle Bells was also the first song to be broadcast from space in December of 1965 when the astronauts Tom Stafford and Wally Schirra said they had spotted a sleigh in space. They then took out a harmonica and sleigh bells, which they smuggled onto the Gemini 6 spacecraft and played and sang the song to Mission Control. Jingle Bells was written by James Lord Pierpont, who lived from 1822 to 1893, and the original version has some slightly different words and a slightly different tune, for the chorus that is often used today. There is some debate as to where it was written. Some people claim it was written in 1850 in Medford, Massachusetts, while others claim it was written nearer 1875 when James Lord Pierpont lived in Savannah, Georgia. I would love to cover all the Christmas traditions I found out about, but there's neither time nor space. After all, I may be a jolly fat man, but I'm not the jolly fat man. I want to take this opportunity to wish each and every listener a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, whatever holiday you celebrate at this time. May it be a pleasant one for you. May it be a nice one for you. Come back next year. We'll be slipping soon into Season 4 of Terry's Mysterious Moments, and I really would like to have you with me. To my Mysterians, Merry Christmas to all, and to all, almost a good night. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I thank you for being along for the ride. And be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. And on Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show, where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. And on Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. And on alternating Thursdays, or every other Thursday, however you want to look at that, we have Patrick Sean Jones with The Sandman Lullaby. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android, you can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on, and that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.
goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.